You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. We just celebrate what the Lord's done in some great ways. And we're going to finish Kainos strong this year. It's going to end at the end of the year. And we're going to actually have on December 3rd, we're going to celebrate all that God has done. Even though we're not going to completely finish yet, we're just celebrating as we go into those last little laps there. So thank you for being a part of it. Just this week, Kelly and I were talking about how much we love our church, what a blessing it is to serve you, what a joy it is to see all that God is doing, what fun it is to watch God at work in so many ways. So man, we just love y'all and just so grateful to just be on mission with the Lord with you. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. If you got your Bible, why don't you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and welcome Sienna campus, downtown campus. I was just with you downtown on Wednesday night. So good to be with you. And also Cyprus, digital family and loop folks as well. We are going to wrap up 1 Timothy next week. If you can believe it, we've been going through this book. It's been a great book. And this is a perfect passage of scripture for Veterans Day weekend because we're going to talk about fight the good fight. And many of you men and women as veterans, you fought the good fight in serving our country through the military, which we love and support, to be able to fight the good fight on behalf of our nation. You know, Veterans Day started um, in uh, November 11th, 1919, and it was the year after the ceasefire that happened from World War I. And it's real interesting, it's on November 11th, because the ceasefire happened, was put into effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. So that's why we celebrated on the day that we celebrated of November 11th. And so it's a great celebration to be able to honor our veterans. Can we just cheer again one more time for our veterans? Just tell them how much we appreciate them and their spouses. It's hard to be a spouse of a veteran as well. And we're going to jump in and we're going to see three things. I'm going to give you three words. These are going to be your three words that you need to remember. So in the first service, I was shaking hands with some folks and they'd come up to me and they'd say these three words. I was like, okay, you got it. So here's the three words we're going to say together. It's going to be flee, fight, and focus. You ready? Count of three here. Let's say it together. One, I'm count of three. (laughs) Class, follow instructions. Here we go. Count of three. One, two, three. Flee, fight, focus. One more time. Flee, fight, focus. That's where we're going. You're going to see those words lived out in this scripture. So let's look if we can. First Timothy chapter six, last chapter of Timothy. Paul's writing to the young pastor named Timothy in Ephesus. He says this, verse 11, but you man of God, hey, you want to underline man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Let's stop right there. Our first point is this, flee sin and pursue virtue. Flee sin and pursue virtue. So he's saying, I want you to flee sin. I don't want you to flirt with sin. I don't want you to get real close to sin. I want you to flee from sin. Now, the Greek word for this is fugo is what it means or what it say, how it's pronounced in Greek. But it reminds me of the Spanish word fuego is what it means, which means fire, right? And so you think about sin, we want to fugo in the Greek, but fuego, the heat of sin, you never try to get close to fire, do you? It always repels you. It pushes you back. And for the believer in Christ, then sin is a repelling thing. We want to get away from the fire, away from the fuego. We want to fugo the fuego, if you will, and be able to flee from sin in that way. Now, when he says these things, he says, I want you to flee these things. Do you remember from last week? 
He was talking about being discontent, particularly with money and materialism and all of that sort of thing. And we talked about last week that we need to be content with how God made me, what God gave me, and where God placed me. So being content with how God made me. He made you like he made you. He made me like he made me. What God gave me. I don't need more. I'm grateful for what God gave me and where God placed me. And with the contentment of those things, that's going to enable me to follow the Lord and trust in God and not be just trusting in other things, but trusting in the Lord. Now look at verse six, if you will, just for context. This is last week's message. You can listen to it online or whatever, but here we go. It says this for context, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out. Our value is not in our stuff. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. But those who want to be rich fall into, see if you want any of these things in your life, fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmless desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, which means first in rank, the ranking first of money, not money, the ranking first of money is the root of all evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what he says. Flee these things. I want you to run from these things. I want you to be content in God of who he's made you, of what he's gave you, what he's gave, given you, and then where he's placed you. And be content in that, Timothy. Just, just rest in that. He's got you. He's taking care of you. You know, when I was younger, I thought that if you had a whole lot of money, that had to mean you were materialistic, right? And if you didn't have a lot of money, then you weren't materialistic. But let me just tell you what. People with a whole lot of money are some of the most generous, non-materialistic people there are. And people with very little money can sometimes be the most materialistic, most craving of money people, and the least generous that are there. I think the more that the Lord's given me, the more generous I've become. It's not just because of amounts, it's just my heart. I realize this isn't going to do it. This isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And so, Lord, I want to be content in you, not content in stuff. And so let's don't miss that Timothy is being spoken of. Paul's saying to Timothy, it's about the heart about the heart. And I want you to flee these things. And I want you to pursue, he gives six virtues. I want you to pursue righteousness. I want you to pursue godliness. I want you to pursue faith in verse 11, love, endurance, and even gentleness. Gentleness is going to lead us into the fight. So I want you to pursue these things. We want to stay away from sin. Now let's imagine that right here, this is the line. Got a big, bold piece of tape here. This is the line between sin and godliness, righteousness, all those sort of things. So here we got this line here. I'm going to put it down. And as we put this line down, on this side is sin, on this side is, is righteousness. So I'm going to keep my preaching on the righteous side, okay? I'm not going to switch it. And he says, I want you to flee the fuego of sin. But what do we do? We often try to see how close to sin can I get? How much can I lean over? So singles, you ask this question, how far is too far? That's the wrong question. Flee sexual immorality. You know, well, how much can I keep in, uh, without getting too materialistic? You flee any type of materialism. Flee any type of greed. Don't try to walk up to the line and say, well, how much Jesus do I have to have? No, run to Jesus. 
It's, it's like, you remember in math, the number line, and you had the positive numbers on, on one side, and you had the negative numbers on the other side, and there was kind of that middle ground. And if you go positive, then you're running from the negative. If you go negative, then you're running from the positive. It's like that in what he's saying here. If you'll flee sin and pursue righteousness and joy and, and gentleness and godliness and all these things of faithfulness, if you do that, then you're going to be running and you're going to be getting away from sin and then put as many barriers as you can in between you and sin. Instead of fleeing the good things and running into sin or trying to get as close as we possibly could do, because at some point you might just fall over and fall into it. Let it propel you. I'll give you a couple biblical examples. David and Bathsheba. I just, I'm just looking at her off my roof, just checking her out. And then it says in the scriptures, then he sent one, someone to go and get her. Well, at that point, it was done. Then he ends up killing Uriah. But Joseph with Potiphar's wife, he said, my master has withheld nothing from me except you, and I am not going that direction. And it says that he flees in Genesis 39, that he leaves, she literally grabs his cloak, he leaves his cloak, and he flees and runs from the house. Do you see the difference? One is fleeing, one is just what's over here, and then pretty soon you fall in. Don't click on that. Don't watch that. Don't see that. Find where your temptations are and flee and walk in righteousness. Pursue pursue virtue and flee from sin. Now, listen to what he does. I'm, I'm really passionate about this one part, so I really want to get this, and I hope that I can convey it in the right way. Verse 11, it says, but you, man of God, his identity is stated before his action is mentioned. You see it? But you, man of God, flee these things and pursue these things. When you know who you are, it changes what you do. When you know who you are, it changes what you do. We've said it before. The reason you don't eat dog food is because you're not a dog. The reason believers don't want to sin is because they're not sinners. We've been made a new creation in Christ. Well, what if you put chocolate on top of the dog food? I still don't want the dog food, right? And sin is just chocolate-covered dog food is all it is. So we want to eat the righteous things, the right things. We want to taste and see that the Lord is good. So he says, man of God, new person in Christ, new identity in Jesus. When you know who you are, it changes what you do. And so many of us are asking about, well, what should I do? Well, I want to encourage you to be who you're supposed to be. And if you'll be who you're supposed to be, then you'll do what you're supposed to do. And when you trust that God's made you who he's made you, and then God will show you what he wants you to do. Now, I love this with Paul. Don't miss this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it's kind of good that it's the same verse, you know, just 2 second, second and 1 Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Timothy, you're my true son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says, you're my dear son in the faith, more of a love type of thing. Now, we don't know much about Timothy's dad. We know from the book of Acts that he was Greek. That's about all we know. Now, we're going to find out in 2 Timothy about his mom and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, that they're very influential in his life. But we don't know much about his dad. And so Paul comes as a fatherly figure, having led Timothy to Christ. Now he's teaching Timothy how to pastor, a young pastor in the town of Ephesus, where there's a false god of Diana, Artemis would be the other way to, to have that name. Diana is the Roman name. Artemis is the Greek name. And so we've got this false temple, this false god, and he's coming with this young pastor. He's trying to encourage him. He says, you're my true son. You're my dear son. But at this moment, I want you to feel this. Paul puts his hands on Timothy's shoulders and looks him in this last chapter. He might not have known if he was ever going to write another letter to Timothy and says, man of God, 
man of God. Now we know Timothy's young. We know he's sickly. We know he's afraid. Those are verses that speak to him. And Paul yet declares into his life, man of God. Have you ever had anyone tell you a word like that in your life? Somebody you know and love and respect tells you, you're gonna do a great job. You're doing a great job. You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. You're important to the kingdom of God. Your giftedness, we, we need it in the kingdom of God. We want you, when, when, a, when a person that I respect, when someone will say to, to me that, you know, uh, maybe another pastor or speaker says, you're doing a great job. I'm like, really? Thank you. It's a blessing when you receive those words. Remember one time our church did a whole bunch of great stuff for, uh, you know, one of the hurricanes. Can't even remember which one now, um, but all this stuff. And I got to be in a, it was an amazing thing. I was in this circle. It was me, George Bush Sr., Barbara Bush, and the mayor of our city. And the mayor was talking about uh, what our church had done. And Barbara Bush looked at me and she goes, I'm proud of you, Greg. And I went, you are? <laughs> Thanks. And I walked back and I got with my friend that I'd come with. And I said, Barbara Bush just told me she was proud of me. I mean, that was awesome. But Paul saying it to Timothy? Let me tell you, if you're a mom or you're a dad, you're a leader, you're a teacher, you're a boss, you speak those words into your kids' lives, who they're becoming and who you want them to be, and you will watch them blossom into that. And many of us, unfortunately, have had so many negative things spoken over us, we're just dying for somebody to tell us something positive. And so we have the opportunity with the power of our words to speak into people's lives and to say, you did a great job. You're doing a great job. God's got his hand on you. The Lord has a plan for you. Don't choose sin. You walk in righteousness. Why? Because Jesus Christ has changed your life and you're a man of God. You're becoming a woman of God. You're not just some Christian kid. God is maturing you and shaping you into making you from a boy, from a girl, to a man or woman of God that one day will lead their own family. And you watch that stand up. And you watch them raise up. And you watch them realize that's dog food over here. And this is taste and see that the Lord is good. And Paul says, man of God, you walk with God. And if you've never heard that word from somebody in your life that you know or love, can I just be your pastor for a moment and tell you God has called you to be a man of God? He's called you to be a man of God. Not play Christian games, not figure out how close you can get to the line, but to be a man of God that flees and says, I'm pursuing something great. And I'm gonna be a man of God on behalf of my wife. I'm gonna be a man of God on behalf of my kids. I'm gonna be a man of God on behalf of my city, on behalf of my country, on behalf of my joy, on behalf of my purpose, on behalf of my heart. I'm gonna be a man of God that walks with God. And to do that, we'll see in just a moment, I'm gonna have to fight the good fight. It's not gonna come easy. I'm going to be a woman of God, you may say, ladies. I'm going to be a woman of God that walks with purity. I'm going to be a woman of God who walks with inner beauty. I'm going to be a woman of God that doesn't need all the exterior. I'm going to be a woman of God that honors my husband, that takes uh, good care of the ones that I love and that then cherishes them and loves them. And I'm going to be an example and I'm going to be a woman of God. And Proverbs 31 is going to shine in my life. And I'm going to walk with God because when I know who I am, it changes what I do. And you may never hear your dad, your mom, your friend, your boss, your employer. You just heard it from your pastor, but you may not hear it from anybody else. You may not hear it from Barbara Bush, but that's fine. 
Because one day when you walk with God, you're going to step into heaven and Jesus is going to put his hands on your shoulders. He's going to look you in the eye and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's better than anybody because that's eternal. Oh, church, be a man of God, men. Speak those words into your wife's life. There's not a single woman that has gone into marriage counseling and said, I am just so sick of him telling me I'm beautiful and he loves me. But there's a whole lot of them that say, I'd never hear it. And I just don't believe it. And I don't know. And it hurts to be in this marriage. Ladies, you speak those words into us. We try to act like we're all big and strong and we're not. We're just little boys in need of an encouragement word from you too. You speak into us who you can see us becoming and we'll start being that person. You speak into her what you see her becoming and she'll be that person. Raise up, it's not some word game. It's the identity of Christ becoming real in our lives. And so he says to Timothy, before he says do anything, he says, man of God. That's why you're gonna do these things because you're a man of God. Who you are changes what you do. I got to do the Texans Chapel twice this year and it's been great. They've won both games. So they're gonna ask me back for sure. It's gonna be great. There is no, you go to the stadium on Saturday night and so they come into the room and you do, do your thing and it's great, it's a wonderful time. But there is no question on who the player is and who the preacher is in that room. There's not one question. Nobody's like, well, what position do you play? We haven't seen you. Are you in the draft pick? And I'm like, yeah, I am. Uh, you know, it, no, nothing. There's no question of the identity. Therefore, there's no question on Sunday that I'm doing this and they're doing that. The identity on Saturday determines what happens with the action on Sunday. And so the identity of who you are in Jesus Christ, he's changed your identity, believer in Christ, Christian, he's changed you so that this is not your native territory anymore. That's why the Lord said, forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who have trespassed, gone on to land that's not theirs. We are on this land, on this property, on this righteousness. Men of God, women of God, rise up, stand strong. And next verse, fight the good fight of faith. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold to the life, not passive, active. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, scholars think that that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Timothy has the laying on of hands and he confesses. And so it's kind of his ordination, if you will. But for all of us, the good confession is that Jesus is Lord. And in the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you. They said, are you the king of Jews? In John chapter 18, that's before Pontius Pilate. He says, I got a kingdom you don't even know of. I mean, yeah, oh, am I the king? I'm the king of everybody, Pontius, is what Jesus is saying. His identity, Timothy's identity, your identity gives us the power to be able to walk and to fight the good fight of faith. So let's ask this question. What does this mean to fight the good fight of faith? The Greek word for fight means to agonize, to struggle, to contend, to make effort, so walking with Jesus, it's a fight. It's not always easy, as we'll talk about in just a second. It's a fight, but it's a fight that's a good fight. It's a good fight. What are you, what are you gonna get if you give up? Just a loss. 
You're going to just lose and lose and lose. But fighting the good fight of faith, we agonize over work. We agonize over school. We agonize over the Astros and the Rangers, right? And it says, I want you to fight. I want you to agonize. I want you to in the core of who you are, because who you are is a man of God, a woman of God. I want you to fight. And I'm not asking you to swing punches. I'm not asking you to be ugly, because the first things he said was righteousness and love. And even gentleness comes right before the word fight. You see that in your scripture? Gentleness, period, fight. So this is Christian. This is a spiritual warfare kind of moment. Not being ugly. It's being able to fight for the things that are right. And you veterans, we're so grateful for you. You fought the good fight for our country. Thank you for that. Makes a huge difference. What a blessing. What a blessing to fight the good fight. Now, how do we do that? I put your application points right there. The name of the series is Application Points. So you got six of them today. Fight to spend time with Jesus every day. Fight to spend time with Jesus every day. I want you to know my life changed when I decided I was gonna be in this word every single day. Uh, you might be saying, well, I'm too busy. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Period, paragraph, end of story. You spend time every day in this. Here's what we try to do as a church. We have a yearly devotional every year that we have. I, I pick it out, pray over it, and we have it available at all campuses. And so you can get a, a devotional that we're all reading the same one. The one this morning was talking about Exodus where Moses hid himself from, from God because God was too much. And we're going to see at the end of this, an unapproachable light is who God is. And that we, man, we can't even look God in the face. That was this morning's devotional, basically. And to be able to see that, that devotional, you can just take it up every day. You just read a little scripture and read a little devotional thought. It won't take you long. It's just an on-ramp to be able to get your day started. We're going to do Salvation Has Come, the Christmas devotional I've written for our church so that we this December, we could go through this December, we could read that devotional together every day of December until we get to December 25th and read that together as families, friends, individually, whatever it is. Also, I want to challenge you to read the book of Luke over December, 24 chapters in Luke, 24 days until you hold a candlelight at the candlelight service. What if you read the whole gospel of Luke before you got to that candlelight and you really knew who, the who and the what of what was going on at that moment? Saw how the cradle and the cross connected. Spend time with the Lord every day. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Number two, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter six, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. As it said in, in verse 10, don't seek first money. Don't put money number one, put God number one. When you seek first things first, you'll get second things thrown in. You seek second things and you'll lose both of them. That's what C.S. Lewis says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Fight to walk by faith. Fight to walk by faith. It's so much easier to walk by sight. Fight to walk by faith. And that fight is worth it. It's worth it. Here's the deal. Some of you right now are in a fight. You're in a fight. The doctor gave you a 17-letter word, and you don't really know what it means besides trouble. You got to fight to trust Jesus. Some of you got a prodigal at home or away from home. You got to fight to trust Jesus. Some of you have grief. It's so painful and we grieve with you and we weep, weep with you and these holidays, it's going to be a fight to believe God's good. You keep fighting, man of God. You keep fighting, woman of God, because the fight will be worth it. And it's what God's given you, where God's placed you, and who God has made you, you walk in that and trust in that 
God is still good even in the fight, even in the fight. But we have to make sure that we fight the right fight. Fight the good fight, not fight every fight. Fight the good fight. So how do we make sure that it's the right fight? Was it something that Jesus would fight for? Is it something that the scriptures would fight for? And, and we see it all over. We have to fight the good fight and don't drift. Don't drift. And we see our world drifting, Christian leaders even drifting. Don't drift. Fight the good fight, the fight of God, what he has for you. You have to be able to fight the good fight in the right fight. Have you ever as a married couple end up in a fight and you don't even know what you're fighting about? Or it's been, it's like a level one and all of a sudden it's World War III in the kitchen. She said this, you said this, he did this, she did that, da, 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 and all the, wham! And at some point you got to go, time out, what are we even fighting about again? I don't know, but I'm ready to go. Let's go. Because we're fighting about everything, right? What are we really even fighting about? Listen to this kind of a funny illustration. It was 1828. There was a pastry chef from France that opened up a cafe in Mexico City. So he was having fuego croissants, okay, is what he was having. And an angry mob came in 1828, and they stormed into his cafe, and they wrecked the place, the cafe. And so he went to the, the Mexican government officials and said, hey, y'all owe me money because all this angry mob took away my cafe. And they said, we're not paying you anything. We don't care what happened with your croissants. We don't care what happened with your bagels. We don't care about your whatever it is. We've got our own things going on. And so he kept complaining and complaining and complaining. So France finally ended up with a new king, King Louis Felipe. Um, and he was already mad at Mexico about some unpaid loans that they had. And so he decided on behalf of the French pastry chef, in Mexico City, he declared war on Mexico. He sent in ships to have a blockade against Mexico, and 250 soldiers were killed over five months of fighting over a French cafe in Mexico City. Is that the silliest thing you've ever heard of? They call it the pastry war. That's what they call it. Silly. Surely we could have worked that out, but do we believe it could happen? We sure do it. Believe it. How long have you been mad at your brother-in-law, your brother, or your sister? I mean, how many decades are you going to be miserable on Thanksgiving or Christmas? It's not the good fight. You might be the only one fighting it. You give that to the Lord, and you walk as a man of God. You walk as a woman of God. Next and last, we've talked about flee. We've talked about fight. Now we talk about focus. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Here's what it says. Actually, let me, let me start, if I can, in verse 13. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, that's a sermon right there, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Oh, I got a kingdom you don't even know about, Pontius. Verse 14, to keep this commandment without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is coming back in this crazy, crazy world. He's coming back. God will bring this about, the return of Christ, in his own time. Amen. He is blessed. Now listen to how he describes God. Listen to how Paul describes God. This is an ending doxology. He is blessed and the only sovereign and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in an unapproachable life, light, whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Here's your last point. Focus on maximizing your view of God and worship. Focus on maximizing your view of God 
and worship Him. That's your focus. Now, this focus on maximizing your view of God, it's not putting God into a microscope and making something small really big. That's not what we're doing in church. When we sing and we preach and we have life Bible study and do missions and all this, it's not us taking something really small and trying to make it big. It's instead taking a planet and putting a telescope to it and seeing it for what it actually is and realizing it's even bigger. You get Jupiter, Jupiter in a, uh, a telescope and it's gonna be even bigger than what you see. That's God. That's what we're doing today. We're maximizing our view of God, not with a microscope. Small becomes big. We're maximizing it with a telescope. The big becomes where we can get a little bit of it in us and see it. And so he says, I want you to focus in on these things. Maximize your view. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your view of God influences your walk with God. You have a small view of God, you're gonna have a small faith. You have a big view of God, you're gonna have a big faith. So let's take these really rich words for just a second. I read them to you. The first thing he says there in verse uh, 15, it says, God will bring about this in his own time. He is blessed, and here he describes, the only sovereign. Sovereign means dynasty. It means rule over all, that he's sovereign. He's a ruler over all. But is he a ruler over you? And is he a ruler over me? Then he says, the king of kings, to reign as king. Is he king in my heart? We know he's the king of kings of the whole world. Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your kingdom? Lord of lords, that he's the Lord, he's the boss, he's the guide, he's the shepherd, but he's the Lord, is he the Lord of your decisions? Is he a Lord of your life? Is he a Lord of your, your walk? Is he the Lord of your path? Then he says, immortal. There's no start to God. There's no end to God. There's no death to God. There's no birth to God. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He wasn't born on Christmas in Bethlehem. He was physically, but he had always been. He will always be. God is immortal, and we are a dot on a dot on a dot of a long line of eternity. And this is weird. I, I, I think it's weird. I don't know if you'll put it, if the right word weird would be what you would put it, but I, I think it's weird to think about we're all gonna die. Isn't that weird? I mean, I feel so alive right now. I'm, I'm gonna die. You're gonna die. Whatever day it is, your friends and loved ones are gonna walk into a place, might be in this very building. They're going to be handed a piece of paper. It's going to have your picture on it. It's going to have a date you know when you were born, a dash you're living right now, and a date you don't know of when you're going to die. And they're going to sing. They're going to talk about you. Somebody's going to give a message. Your whole life's going to be wrapped up in a three-minute video. Now, I'm not negating it. I'm just telling you. We're mortal. Now, I think it's double weird for me in this very moment. My casket will probably sit right where I'm standing right now in this very room. Now, I'm hoping it's decades and decades and decades. <laughs> but it's going to happen. And God is immortal. And so what happens is the temporary of humans have the opportunity to trust in the immortality of Jesus Christ. 
and the eternal can come and live in my heart and I can trust Jesus as my savior. And now my sins are forgiven. Now my walk with him is secure. Now he lives inside of me. So I'm no longer a temporary uh, person on planet earth. I'm an eternal being to make a difference in the ways of the Lord so that the last one it says, and he lives in an unapproachable light. That means that he's holy upon holy upon holy. He's without darkness. The enemy, the devil is filled with darkness. He's the prince of darkness. Jesus and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit are the unapproachable light. And that's why, watch me put it together. That's why I need and you need and we need the light of the world to be in my heart so that I am one time, when I die and you're gonna die and I'm gonna die, I can then, the line is not about sin and righteousness, the line is about earth and eternity. And because of Jesus Christ in my heart as the light of the world, I can step into the unapproachable light for all of eternity. Because I'm saved, I'm born again. I've trusted Jesus and he lives inside of me. And that immortal one, that unapproachable light, that Lord of Lords, that King of Kings, that sovereign ruler, he is mine and I am his. My identity has been changed. So when I step into heaven, I don't step in there because of Greg, I step into there because of God. Because Jesus flipped it. Why? Because I'm a man of God. Born of God, changed in Christ. And now the light of the world lives in me. I'm saved, born again, a man of God. And heaven is where I'm to be, not in the world of sin any longer. And so we grieve differently for those we've lost because we grieve with hope and trust and faith for all of eternity. So as we wrap this thing up, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you have, amen. Be a man of God. Be a man of the world. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Don't be a woman of the exterior. Be a woman of the interior. And let that identity change everything as you flee sin and pursue righteousness, faith, and love. And as you're doing that, He'll grow you up in him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, hey, today's your day. I'm giving you the choice right now. And if you choose to say no to the savior of the world and to go it on your own, then you're choosing not to spend eternity with God. And if you choose to trust him as your savior, you're saying, I need a savior and I need the light of the world in me if I'm gonna step into heaven with him. Veterans Day, men and women who fought the good fight on behalf of our country. They were soldiers and they knew it and that changed what they did. And on this day, in this message, you're a man or woman of God. Last application, what do you need to flee? Where do you need to fight for your faith? How can you focus more on God? Would you say those three words with me one more time? As we say them together, and then we'll wrap up our time. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Flee, fight, focus. One more time. Flee, fight, focus. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you that you fought the good fight for us. You died on a cross. 
You lived a life we couldn't live. Father, give us strength to fight, even when it's hard, to keep fighting in your power, in your strength, not in our willpower, not in our heart, uh, of our strength, but yours. We are men and women of God if we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Church, only one person in the whole New Testament was called a man of God, and that was Timothy. And in Christ, you have the same spirit as Timothy, of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not 100% sure, I'm not talking about becoming a church member or being a certain denomination. But being who God created you to be by trusting his son, you can just pray with me. Jesus, I know that you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and be my savior. Wash me clean, Lord. I want to be a new creation in you. I want to be a man of God or a woman of God. Save my soul. If you already know Christ as your Savior, would you just whisper a word to Him and just whatever your gender is. God, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. Help me to flee. Help me to fight. Help me to focus. God, give us strength, heart. It matters, Lord. We know that it matters. This fight matters. It matters for our families. It matters for our marriages. It matters for our country. It matters for our hearts. It matters for all of eternity, God. And we need your strength, and we're thankful that we have it. Because the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the unapproachable light, the sovereign one, the immortal one lives inside of the heart of the believer. And you've given us all things for life and godliness. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.